0: So we're in in the Psalms for for about a month or two here in the summer, kind of going through the different kinds of Psalms. And there's 150 Psalms. David David wrote about half of those Psalms. Uh, I'm talking about one of David's Psalms this morning from Psalm 144. And uh, it's called a royal Psalm because it's written about the king. It's written about who God is as a king. It's written about sort of his uh, sovereignty and his leadership and his royalty. And so this is a, a royal Psalm, they call it. There's about four or five different kinds of psalms, psalms of lament, psalms of worship, uh, so, so on and so forth. So I want to read this in three parts, and um, we'll kind of go part by part through this, this uh, amazing story and, um, and, and see what the Lord wants to say. Psalm 144, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, there's Bibles also in, in, in the front of you, in the, in the chairs behind you. Um, in front of you, sorry. it's Verse 1, Praise be to the Lord my rock. Who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle? He is my loving God and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them? They are like a breath, their days are like a fleeting shadow. So David begins this psalm with these six adjectives to describe God. Whenever you see Lord capitalized in, in the Old Testament, it's Yahweh. It's God's name. And so he says, praise be to Yahweh. Praise be to the, this is the Jewish name for God. It's like this breathing thing, Yahweh. And uh, they didn't really, didn't really know the name of God, so they kind of created this, Yahweh is the name that, that that felt, you know, that was the name they, they, uh, they heard God say, I am that I am. And so praise be to Yahweh, my rock. So he, he calls God his rock. He calls God his fortress. He calls God his stronghold. He calls God his deliverer. And he calls God his shield. And so he describes God this way. And it's important that he that he starts by saying my. You know he he uses personal pronouns. And he's what he's saying is God is not just out there. He's not just a deliverer or a stronghold or a shield. He's my shield and my stronghold and my deliverer. And we heard testimonies this morning about those very things. It's one thing to, to know about God, and it's another thing to know God, God's heart. It's, not, it's one thing to, to have gone through hard times, but it's another thing to, go, to have gone through hard times and know he's the del- deliverer. And so he, he describes God as a rock, and the idea is that he's this rock that you build your life upon. It's, it's indestructible. It's like God's the foundation. If you built a house on a rock that Jesus talked about, he's the rock. It's, it's stable. It's steady. He's your rock of strength. And so David talks about him as a rock. He says he's a loving God in verse 2. That God is a God of love. He's a father. The core, the nature of who God is, is love. God is love, John says. And out of that place of love, out of that place of his father heart, every other attribute flows. The father heart of God is a father heart of love calls God a fortress it 's a picture of like um, a castle. if you imagine a castle or a sort of a military encampment, this massive wall, I think of like the St Augustine fort, and you think of this this fortress that was that was such a powerful picture of God being this place where you can hide in him you can you can find safety in his fortress. And he calls God a stronghold. And the stronghold is like the place in the fortress, that when the fortress is even falling down, the stronghold is the place you go in the fortress where that is like the, the place that is the most safe. It's the most protected place. And so God is a stronghold. And he calls God his deliverer, which means he doesn't just protect us from the battles or the pain or protect us um, from the, the, the hard things of life, but he delivers us through them. And there's a there's a coming out, a deliverance that it's not just about hiding in safety and being in refuge which is which is true, but there's a deliverance ultimately God is faithful to deliver. And so he starts with those descriptors of God and then he says, "What am I, Lord? I'm just a human being. I'm a mere mortal that you think of. I'm like a breath compared to your eternity, compared to like the beginning and the end of time. You're outside of that. You're eternal. And what am I, God? Have you ever ever thought that? Like, there's billions of people right now in the world. And yet, God thinks of me. God hears my prayers. Jesus loves me and died for me. Like, there's this, this realization in David's mind. Like, he's describing God, and he's saying and this is me, and yet you see me, and you love me, and you're mindful. Like, you, you take notice of my heart, and my needs, and my stuff, and it's true. And I think all of us have felt that way. We've, we've, we have felt like, God, where are you? I mean, there are times where you think, you know, are you there? I, I just feel like I'm such a, a, a tiny speck compared to the, the grandiose creation of the world, and the people, and yet... God wants us to know this morning that you matter, and that you are special, and you are unique to Him. And your love for Him is unique. Like, there's no one else that loves Him the way you do. It touches Him in a way that only you can do. And so He made you uniquely in that sense. So out of that place, He prays this prayer. He says, God... Verse 5, part the heavens, Lord. And here we go. This is like his, the fiery David coming out. Like a lot of times, Psalms is like, it's like, it's just real. The Psalms are just beautiful, like journals of people's thoughts and prayers. And so God is, David's like, this is what I need, Lord. Out of this place now, I realize you're powerful, you're a deliverer. This is what I need. Okay. Part the heavens, Lord. Come down, touch the mountains so that they smoke. Send forth lightning and scatter my enemies. Shoot your arrows, rout them. Reach down your hand from on high and deliver me and rescue me from the mighty waters, from the hands of foreigners. Sounds a little little, little mean. Whose mouths are full of lies, whose right hands are deceitful. I will sing a new song to you, my God. On the ten-stringed lyre, I'll make music to you, to the one who gives victory to kings, who delivers his servant David from the deadly sword. Again, deliver me. Rescue me from the hands of foreigners whose mouths are full of lies, whose right right hands are deceitful. First of all, let me just explain the foreigner part there. He's not talking about like... Illegal immigrants or something like that. He's not talking about that. He's talking. <laughs> when he first read that, I was like, "Gosh, David was really, really a jerk." Um, <laughs> deliver me from the yeah. But he's he what he's talking about is he he's the leader of Israel. He's the second king of Israel, and Saul was the first king, and he was a a, a huge kind of failure in a lot of ways. He compromised, and so David comes into power, and he sees his nation being affected by the the worship of other gods around him. And he sees the foreign gods, the Philistines, the Malachites, and them affecting the worship of Yahweh. And so he's saying, I I don't want our, our people to come under the lies of false worship, of idolatry. It's a real thing. And they were led astray. They were led astray right after this by David's own sons into the worship of false gods. And so David's crying out to God like it's so tempting to give in what the culture is doing. It's so tempting to just believe the false gods around us. It's so tempting to go, that just made, that makes sense, doesn't it? Doesn't that make sense? Let's just go along with the tide around us. Israel's always been surrounded by those worshiping false gods. Israel's always been surrounded by that, and they've had to come back over and over again, and God used many ways to do that. And David is crying out to God, would you, God, just call us back to the pure love of Yahweh? Would you, God, just call us back to the simple surrender to the king? That's what he's crying out for. He's not literally saying, you know, send down lightning bolts, God, and kill the king of Philistine. You know, I hate that guy. You know, send it down, Lord. Get, get Putin out of there, Lord. Send it down, you know, whatever it is. But he's, 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 he's realizing that there is a battle, that he's in a battle. And for him, it was both physical and spiritual. Israel was in physical battles and spiritual battles. And David realizes by praying, by asserting something in the spiritual, it affects the physical. So so how how he prays, he knows he's appealing to the king of the world. And God is mindful of him. And his prayers can affect the world around him. And a lot of times we don't think about this. Just two weeks ago, we talked about spiritual warfare, and Cheryl mentioned and talked about that our struggle is not against what we see our struggles against principalities and powers, those things at work that affect culture, that the false gods and the false narratives happening around us in every culture, in every age, in every generation, those things that Satan uses to entrap God's people exist all the time. And so we as Christians, we don't pray against a person or we don't pray against a a thing. We're praying that God would break through from heaven And shatter the plans of the enemy. Shatter the plans of the enemy. And that manifests in people believing lies, in cultures following lies, in cultures serving false gods, namely the God of pleasure, and the God of money, and the God of whatever else may be. That's what we worship in America. We worship pleasure, we worship money, we worship comfort, we worship independence. And David's crying out saying, God, save us from this stuff, like the false narrative that's happening around us. Just call us back to the pure love of, of you, Yahweh. And and that and that's what's happened. I feel like in, in our in our world right now, in our in our in our country, this past year, there's just been such a barrage of attacks from the, in the sense of a, a wave of deception. And it's come from so many angles. It's like if there's a place to feel offended, you can find it right now as a, as a Christian. You know, it's like there's a way to feel offended about something somewhere. Masks, no masks, vaccine, a vaccine, politics, race, all of it. It's like this past year has just come at the church. We were in Virginia last week on vacation, and we were just hanging out with some of our old friends. We were hearing stories about how in this past year, I mean, just people that we never thought would would leave the faith have left the faith. If you, there was a, a girl that we were friends with years ago, and she she was inc- I mean, amazing woman of faith. I, I would say I'll, get, I'll give you ten thousand dollars. I, I was so secure in, in her like her love of Jesus, and she's walked away. It's like how did this happen in, in this past year? It's like this wave has crashed on the beach, and whatever is just kind of hanging on is being pulled back into the ocean of this deception. There's, there's, there's more to that. I'm not going to go into it for, for time's sake, but I just feel like that's what's happening in a spiritual sense in the church in America. I mean, studies are showing that, that basically over the next year, probably one out of every three churches are going to close in America because simply people are not going to come back to church. And you can't function with half, half a church financially. That's, that's astounding to think about. Like Virginia just opened up like two weeks ago. Like they've been closed for, for for the year, and so these so many churches can't. I mean, it's not about churches. I'm just saying in general, this is this is a a thing that's happening across our nation. Like, it's just it's just real. It's it's a real issue, and so half of churches are going to close, or one third, or one third of churches are going to close. That's a, that's amazing. That's unprecedented in our in our lifetime, or even probably in our history, in a, in a year's time that 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 would happen, and so we cry out to God as a, as a community of faith saying, we know God, you have the answer. You are the refuge. You are the stronghold. You are the fortress of deliverance. And David realizes the people that are most affected by this, this happening, if God intervenes, if God were to come and God were to bring deliverance and freedom, the people that are most affected are our children are the children. So he goes on by saying this. Then, when you do this, God, then, verse 12, our sons in their youth will be like well-nurtured plants. Our daughters will be like pillars carved to adorn a palace. Our barns will be filled with every kind of provision. Our sheep will increase by thousands, by tens of thousands in our fields. Our oxen will draw heavy loads. There'll be no breaching of walls, no captivity, no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed is the people of whom this is true. Blessed is the people... whose God is Yahweh. He's saying, if you come, Lord, our kids are going to be the ones that are going to be blessed. That's the reality, y'all. The, the stuff happening happening right now with, with sexuality in our culture, it's not me that's going to be affected by this. It's, it's my sons. It's your sons and your daughters. The confusion of our day, the gender stuff and sexual stuff, it's going to be th- them that are confused and deceived and, and swept up into this Incredible demonic lie of our culture right now. They're going to be swept up into it. And Dave realizes that. David's saying, like, this is what's going to happen. If we turn back to God, if God comes, our sons will be like well-nurtured trees planted. Our daughters will be, will be like, actually in the Hebrew, the daughters are like, it's like this cornerstone pillar, this idea that, that, the, that women of faith, secure in their identity, are like pillars that hold the entire house together from collapsing and they hold the house together and they connect like a cornerstone pillar of the whole establishment. If God moves and if God comes, happy are the people of whom this is true. Blessed, the same word in the Hebrew, has said. It's like this idea that happy are those for whom Yahweh is your God. And conversely, ultimately, unhappy are those who don't know Yahweh as their God. So that's, that's the message of David this morning. That's the message of this psalm. And I just want to be honest and be real right now. Like, I read this psalm through this week, and I, I had little revelation about this. And I thought, I, I just don't feel this, Lord. Just like these testimonies today. Like, I don't feel that you've been my fortress or my stronghold or my deliverer. I haven't felt that way. And last night at... Eleven o'clock. Our oldest son wakes up. He's been getting these sharp pains in his stomach for the past few months. We had all this kind of blood tests done, no results, and he's crying and he's shaking violently. And I, and I text Melissa. I'm like, I'm gonna have to cancel service tomorrow. I can't come. I'm going to the ER. And so we prayed for him, and he calmed down. And he finally fell asleep in our arms. And then an hour later, our 17 month old wakes up and he screamed with a double ear infection. And I'm like, I'm like, God, where the heck are you? Like, I have to preach in a few hours about you. You know that, right? Like, I'm talking about you, and you're, you're so great and so, so good. So I was up from 2 until 6, and then Shannon, and then I woke up at 6, and then Shannon came up and woke me up, woke me up and I had to get ready to go. I'm not saying, I'm not saying to sympathize with me, empathize with my stuff. I need counseling here. I'm not, I mean, whatever. I, I'm, I'm just saying this doesn't feel that real right now, like, to me. This whole year, I've been exhausted. We've been exhausted. Five hours of sleep on a good night for me. Five hours. I'm tired. And ministry-wise, I'm tired, y'all. Like, Jared's tired. We're tired of the drama. We're tired of the controversy of all oh, the mass. No, ma- I mean, all the stuff this year, it's like, it's exhausting. I mean, let's just grow up together in unity. Today, today was a beautiful expression of unity. It's like, yes, Lord, we want you. We're broken. We're different. And we want you. I mean, can we come together in our differences in our brokenness, broken and contrite heart, he, he won't despise. And, yeah. A, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen, Kendra. Yeah. Testimony number six, right there. That was not a plant. I didn't ask her to do that. But I will give her a Chick-fil-A gift card later for that. That's what I do. Chick-fil-A gift cards. If you do things, I'll just occasionally give a gift card. Boom. Zoe. Um <laughs> So I came across this week, I mean, this week I heard about the story of this, this woman, Jane Mar- Marchewski, I think her name is, Nightbird is her, her, her singing name, uh, and wrap this up. You may, may have seen it online, she sang, she sang on America Got Talent this past, I guess, past few weeks, she sang on the show, and she's a Christian, she has terminal cancer, she had cancer three times, It's her third time with cancer, and she weighs about 100 pounds, and she sang this song about just trusting and, and walking through this dark this dark season of her life, three times with cancer, and her husband left her after the first time, and she's thirty years old, and she's probably not going to live much longer, honestly. And I and I think about her story. and I read her blogs. I'm two two more or less. I'm just reading. I'm reading her blogs last night. I'm thinking, wow. My son on the couch over here is is comparatively like I know pain is relative. I know I know I know we all have different kinds of issues in our lives. But I'm, like, I'm thinking this compared to my stuff is 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 not is nothing. Like my stuff is nothing compared to what she's going through, and she talks about just her battle with, with cancer and depression and loneliness. And she's a modern day psalmist. Her blogs are like the psalms. Like they're beautiful. I encourage you to find her stuff and just read it and, and just watch her story. It's, it's unfolding. It's going to go across the Facebook. It's already getting popular. But I feel like she's a voice right now. She's a voice right now. And so she says, she says this. It's kind of long. I'm going to read it. She's, she says, I've had cancer three times now. I'm, I have barely passed 30 I spent three months propped against the bathroom wall. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my my robe on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. Every morning he sent them manna bread from heaven. Call me cursed. Call me lost. Call me scorned. But that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, and sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I'm the one whose belly is filled with loaves of mercy that were hidden just for me. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but I'll repeat until I do. I know it sounds crazy, and I can't explain it, but God is in there. Even now, I have heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. Look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. When it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, he adds to it. He is more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness. He adds his light. He doesn't spare me of thirst. He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness. He comes near. So do we believe that when we're in pain, it must mean that, he, that God is far. This is the truth, y'all. Like, if you let, if you let emotion and experience be your theology, you're going to walk away from God eventually. That's the word I felt. That's my whole talk right there. If we let emotion and experience be our theologian, in other words, how we think about God, we're going to walk away eventually. I wanted to tear this psalm out this week and read Psalm 143, which says, the one chapter before it says this, the enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness. So my spirit grows faint. My heart is dismayed. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. That's how I feel. Psalm 143. They're both there though, right? They're both valid. They're both the word of God. I respect that. That's a beautiful thing about, about the Bible. That's how I feel. But, but in the midst of these emotions, we assert. What she did she asserted the truth over those things. We cannot let emotions and experience be our theologian. And that's what's happening right now in this whole movement, just ripping stuff out of the Bible we don't like. It's not that simple. I'm I'm sorry to make it that that simplified, but I feel like in many respects, that's what's happening. We're recreating God because we don't have that experience. And so how could God do this? Take it out of the Bible. Y'all, He is good. And when the night... When the night is falling, when the night is, where the, the phrase is, holding on, God is still holding on. When the night is holding on, God is still holding on. He's saying that over and over again. He's the cornerstone. All right, let's stand. We're, we're kind of late. Let's pray and have time ministry. It's really important. I think there are a lot of folks that really need ministry this morning, including me, including me. God, thank you that you are holding on. That whether we're in Psalm 144 with David, and you're my fortress and my deliverer, whether we're in Psalm 143 and our spirit cries out and faints within us, Lord, you are here, and you don't push away either one. You welcome those feelings, those, those thoughts, and you are not afraid of where we are in our journey with you. But we assert the truth, God, this morning. You are good. You are good, and you are near the brokenhearted. And you're victorious over sin and death. And one day that that woman, Nightbird, will stand before Jesus healed. And she'll embrace Jesus and he will say, Well done. I am your deliverer and your healer and your sustainer. It's still true. Would you come, Holy Spirit, right now and just touch us that need to be touched? Come, Holy Spirit.